welcome to another episode of the Improv Pod podcast. My guest today is Hannah Smith. So can you tell me a bit about yourself? I work in a bookshop. Yeah, I'm a bookseller. And I'm also an artist, um, printmaker, liner cut printmaker. So I have those sort of two paper-based skills that I love to do. I make bold, graphic liner cuts about folklore and nature and animals and sort of things like that, and the occult. So very dark, gothic, lots of skulls and animals and naked women. Cool. So you're into folklore. Yeah, how we tell stories to explain things and make sense of the world around us. I've had a focus on paganism and the cycles of nature, living in nature and witches and, and the Dartmoor folk tales and things like that, ghosts and all those sort of legends that surround this area especially. But yeah, I think anywhere really, all around the world has interesting stories. So I'm going to play a piece of music. It's completely improvised and I'd like you to tell me what it makes you think of. So that can be anything that comes into your mind. something ominous about it. I don't know if it's because they walked through the woods to get here, but instantly felt like there was a presence in the woods or something that's stalking you as you're walking along. And maybe it's dark or it's almost dark. There's like a threat there. And then towards the end, the threat went away or you outran it or you came out the other side of the woods and the sun was out and it was all okay after all. There's definitely that uncertainty, isn't it? Mm. What's happening in the forest? What is it? Yeah. Like being watched. I always feel like I'm being watched in the forest. They do say that the trees talk to each other through the mycological systems and so maybe there's a bit of being watched by the forest, yeah. I'd like you to tell me a story of some kind and then I'm going to improvise a soundtrack to the story. So when I was about 21, I moved from Australia to this island country called Vanuatu in the Pacific. It's this Pacific archipelago of about 100 islands or so all spread sort of through in around Papua New Guinea. I ran a resort there, which I was like deeply underqualified to do. It was like a small resort on one of these islands. It was a really strange place to live. It was like picture postcard paradise. White sandy beaches and blue seas and palm trees and stuff growing everywhere and amazingly beautiful. But then also everything's so alive there. All the plants are taking over each other and all the animals are big and the sea life's threatening and there's all this sort of tension between this beauty and this sort of danger all the time. That was sort of really summed up in this trip I did to one of the islands called Tana which has a, an active volcano on it that's been active for hundreds of years. It's never not been spouting out lava and rumbling around and doing this thing. The island has become like a moonscape wasteland of ash 
and volcanic ground, volcanic soil, and it's just grey, amazing space. So you go there in a boat, and then there's a little dock and a little hotel, and you stay in the hotel, and they take you out. There's tour guides in really old, beaten-up, four-wheel drives at dusk, because it's the best time to see this volcanic display as it comes up against the sky, the light going down behind it, and it's this amazing thing to do. But it's all really, like, unregulated. You just get in this car with this guy, and he takes you out there drives you across a waterfall, you cross this massive grey wasteland and it's really weird. And then you get there and all the tour guides go, off you go then, you climb the volcano, we're going to have a cigarette break. So we all go up the side of it, there's about ten of us. They start climbing up and the sun's going down and then you get to the top and you realise you are just standing at the edge of a volcano. And it's this really weird experience, there's so much danger here, this amazing energy, this power coming out of the ground. Suddenly there's all this action and I turn around and everyone's screaming. And one of the women had been taking a photograph on the edge, on the very edge of the volcano, and her, she dropped her camera. And she went to get it, and she slipped and started to fall in. And someone else had to grab her by the ankles and pull her out of this volcano. I remember all the tour guides being, like, just incredulous <laughs> that that would have happened, that we were so stupid. It's just like common sense, isn't it, not to stand on the edge of a volcano. It would have been all for a camera as well, which is a really sad reason to die. So you've got the idyllic section and then the barrenness and then this sense of danger but also awe at the same time yeah. and then the near miss.
was great. We got the feeling at the beginning of something being idyllic and, and happy and lovely and so full and then moved into something a bit smoother and bigger and then danger at the end. I uh, considered like fourths to be idyllic. My brain was like fourths. And it sort of smooths out somehow. Did you get the sense of the volcano? Yeah, it was like this sort of energy, like you could feel the idea of lava coming up or something, pops of sound. I was going to go for this like low earthy tone and then the sense of the... This moment of danger. I was imagining when something happens and your perception of time slows down a bit. You think, when you mentioned the moonscape, I was literally imagining like a, a moonscape. Yeah, that's a big emptiness. And I think that there was a feeling in that transition from the beginning, from that aliveness to that emptiness. I really felt something just got bigger. If I'm playing this. I can imagine dense things, so yeah. forest or trees together, you know, and as we shift from the landscape of sort of dense jungle to something much more open, you can literally do it on the piano and you get that sense. creating that space in a really literal way. And also in time as well, playing less. Do you have another story you could tell? For a while when I lived in London, I lived on the canal on a narrowboat for a couple of years. It was really old, beautiful, proper barge, narrow barge from the, the 70s or older, beautiful old thing. And there used to be this party that would happen with all the boaters. They'd go up river on the last bank holiday of the summer and you go up out to Essex and there's like an estuary area that all the canals join up and everyone goes down there for 50 boats and you join all the boats together with ropes and you have this massive three-day party with music and food and everyone climbs on each other's boats and it's this sort of great regatta. Lots of pirates and really interesting people will trek up there and it takes about a day out of London. So my partner and I, we set out a bit later than we meant to. So the sun was going down a bit. And we're getting out of London. We're going along quite slowly. And on one side, there's just fields. On the other side, it's sort of light industry. So no one lives around. It's very empty. It's all going OK. And then suddenly, the engine just stops working. And we start drifting. Don't know what's going on. My boyfriend goes to see what's happening in the engine room. And I don't know if you've ever seen Battleship Potemkin. It was like that, but like a really small version. All the water's coming in, spouting out random places out in the middle of the floor, just pouring out and trying to stop it. Turned everything off and then we're just drifting properly and there's nothing and there's no sound. And we don't know how to fix it. It's a hundred-year-old engine in the middle of nowhere. There's no one around. All the lights are gone. And there was a moment of fear in that and this uncertainty. And then we got the barge pole out from the side and ended up steering ourselves in the dark. And it's just dead quiet and there's nothing around. And we're out of London and we're just going along. And it was like just one of the most peaceful moments I've ever had on the boat, all of a sudden, just with that uncertainty, but beauty and nothing and quiet. It was actually really lovely in the end. We made it to the party, which is the most important thing. So I'm gonna go for uh, having a good time and then cruising along and then there's this sort of silence and then this sense of unease, flooding and there's stuff's yeah. happening. And then that kind of turns into a sense of calm, more mm. acceptance, maybe, that once is. you find the pole and then you make it to the party anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
I loved at the beginning, it wasn't just the sound of the engine, but it was also the feeling of moving, of traveling with the higher notes coming in and making it feel like that lovely feeling of going somewhere and, and moving and traveling around. I tried to keep the consistency of that rhythm, mm. but playing some kind of harmony at the top and then really messing with the rhythm when it starts going wrong and playing with your rhythmic expectation. Like, yeah. And then once you'd got over the initial panic of this thing going wrong and realized that you couldn't fix it there and then went for a more jazzy kind of approach. It's gonna go with the flow, literally. So what did you get out of this podcast? I think it was interesting how stories have a rhythm to them, a rise and a fall. The way you tell a story has a rhythm to it, has a flow, has highs and lows, and you think it has a beginning, a middle and an end, but actually there's like, there's long and short parts, there's tension and there's release. It has a musicality to it. It's the highs of things and the emotion and the space that places are given and the tension. And then I tried to reflect that in the music. Yeah, exactly. I think it's a really interesting relationship between the two, actually, and you look at it that way. Thanks very much for being on the podcast. Thank you. It was really fun. Join us next week for another episode of Impropod. Thanks for listening. <laughs>